Hello and welcome to the weekly message podcast from Crozet United Methodist Church in Crozet, Virginia. We invite you to join us in person any Sunday for our contemporary service at 9.30 a.m. or for a more traditional service at 11 a.m. Please visit us online at www.crozetunitedmethodist.org for further information. We hope you enjoy this week's message from Crozet UMC. Christmas Eve and Christmas Day worship is all inspired by the gift of the Magi, that short story by O. Henry. And last week, we talked about the generation that is known as the greatest and how their identity and their way of being in the world has blessed us so richly, not just as human beings or as Americans, but as Christians, that their faith has had great form and impact. And today, the next generation that we're going to discuss are often their children, the greatest generation's children. They are known as the silent generation. These are those that were born between 1928 and 1945. They are those that fought in the Korean War. They are those that formed the leadership in the civil rights movement here in the United States. And they are the ones who are credited with creating that wonderful genre of music, rock and roll. Now, there are certainly underpinnings and generations that did their work in jazz and blues to get us to the point that we could have rock and roll music. But if you've ever been a fan of rock and roll in whatever form, the silent generation will receive your gratitude. They are those who have been deeply impacted by the experience of their parents and their grandparents. They are those who watched as the world had recuperated and tried to rebuild after a world war and after the Great Depression in this country. And so they are marked by the following traits. They are those who do not speak manifestos or make speeches or carry posters. They were young adults in the McCarthy era of the late 1940s and 50s. They watched as people were persecuted. They watched as people were pigeonholed because of the positions that they articulated and the beliefs that they had passion about. And so they decided that they would be those that would work within the system to make change, using their power, their positions, their privileges, and their rights to change the system from the inside. And they did this in a number of ways. For instance, they were the generation that changed the laws in this country to allow for legal divorce. And so they worked to lessen the stigma of those who chose that path for themselves. Setting at liberty those who were in abusive relationships and those that were in incredibly toxic marriages. They are those who, having watched their families try to find a new sense of foundation and fiscal freedom, were those that are known to be thrifty, to get their money's worth out of anything that they purchase or any investment that they make. And they are those who count themselves 84% of their population as Christian, and 66% claim that they have experienced or have known spiritual peace. Now that is 2% less that call themselves Christian than their parents' generation, and 4% less who would account spiritual peace as something that they have personally experienced. But this generation by far continues to hold firm to their faith and their Christ. 
And because of that, they had continued to build upon the foundations laid by the greatest generation. I shared with you last week that my grandparents were of the greatest generation. Well, my father is of the silent generation. And one time a friend of mine said, I understand why your dad's so quiet. And I said, why is that? And he said, between you and your mom and your sister, he can't get a word in edgewise. (laughs) That's very true. That's not why he's of the silent generation, though. My father is part of that generation that believed that through hard work and by utilizing what we had been granted, that we could make change. And when I mentioned to you that members of this generation were those that became the backbone in the leadership of the civil rights movement, they count as one of their own, the Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King Jr., And they believed this generation that words were a precious commodity and that you should use them as appropriate. And the text that I read to you from the book of Proverbs, it calls us to just this type of mindset with our words. Because Proverbs was meant to be a wisdom book for young men, first Israelites and then Jews and then any person of the book, Christians included, that were reading and looking for divine wisdom, they would turn to the book of Proverbs hoping to get not just some maxims and some advice, but some practical experience that they could use to be the best followers of God that they could be. And so it is here, those verses that I read to you are the verses about speech ethics. This is where God is conveying to us that our words are powerful and that we need to be intentional about how we use them. That's why it says in the text that whoever belittles another lacks sense. If you're going to use the precious gift of your words to tear down and make someone feel insignificant, you are wasting the power of your words, says the Bible. An intelligent person would remain silent. Now, I was raised to believe if you don't have anything nice to say, don't say anything at all. And in some ways, that's wise. Because if you're saying something that is mean-spirited or something that is not going to help build somebody up or encourage them to be their best, then you are truly wasting your words. No one is going to be inspired because you berate them. No one is going to yearn to change who they are because you've made them feel incompetent and unworthy. But instead, if you use your words to convey the potential that you see in another person, or to commend them when they have a success, then they yearn to do even better. And the silent generation has taken that to heart in their identity. That words should be used, yes, but above all, you speak even greater value when you use your actions, your deeds, and your life. And this is precisely in the spirit of St. Francis of Assisi, who said, preach the gospel, Use words when necessary. And so they continue in the book of Proverbs by saying that a gossip goes about telling secrets, but one who is trustworthy in spirit keeps a confidence. And probably all of us here have experienced what gossip looks like and how painful it can be. In fact, sometimes the betrayal of a confidence is actually more hurtful in the moment than the sting of a slap. And it is something that our culture has struggled with for a very long time. Because when you have knowledge, intimate knowledge about someone else, there is a power of being able to share that. 
In fact, I had a staff member one time at my previous church that would learn something about somebody and would rush into my office and shut the door and invoke clergy confidentiality and then gossip to me. And I was like, that's not how this is supposed to work. And one day, after realizing that this is how this person was preventing themselves from gossiping to other people, I said, what is it that you get by telling me this? What is it that happens when you come here and speak this truth that is not yours? What is it that happens within us? And it really is about raising our position in someone else's eyes. Look what I know. I am privy to information that you don't have, but I, from a position of authority, will share it with you. But we are called to be humble servants. We are called to be a people who model what it is to be a believer and a follower of Jesus Christ with our acts of kindness, our acts of mercy, that are founded upon and thriving through our belief in divine love and compassion. We are not called a people who seek to have power over other people. For Jesus tells us that the greatest among us will be slave to all. And being a servant, a slave to all, is not about wielding power over people, but it is about setting them into a position where they can step into their own power and authority, where they can find that they too can have a divine purpose to their lives if they so choose to follow Jesus Christ. And when we read the scriptures and we find here that there is an expectation of God and how we use our words, then perhaps it just states for the record that the silent generation heard and received these commandments. And the last is this, that where there is no guidance, a nation falls. But in an abundance of counselors, there is safety. For this is true. The church has never been a place where we believe that one person should be making all the decisions. We're not Catholic. We don't turn to a pope. Instead, here in the Methodist tradition, we believe that the most powerful authority in the church is actually our largest gathering at General Conference, where over 800 delegates, half laity and half clergy, gather together and there they speak on behalf of the church. This is completely different than most denominations function. The idea that those with the highest power and authority should be your greatest gathering is antithetical in a lot of thinking. Now, that has a downside because you have to get a lot of people to prayerfully discern together and listen to one another and act together as a body. But when it happens, what a miraculous testimony. When that many people can come together and make decisions that will have a reaction throughout the world, it is truly a testimony that the Spirit of God is at work in the church. Try getting over 800 people to agree. I've been on committees of six where we couldn't agree. And yet, we are a part of a body of Christ that believes that together, we are truly able to make our best decisions. Because we believe that the Spirit is moving in you and the Spirit is moving in me, and together the Spirit is not only connecting us, but perfecting us and helping us to hear and do things that we would never pay attention to otherwise. Because often we wear our own blinders. But those who are looking at us can see things that we cannot see with our own eyes. 
And they have different experiences and education. And they have different ideas. And then together, we are able to make better decisions. The silent generation believed that. That by working together within the systems, whether this was local, state, federal government, when it was in the legislative process or our judicial system, that they could work together and be united in their belief that people should be able to experience forgiveness. Being the first generation to believe that people can truly make mistakes and then be redeemed from those mistakes and embody it in how they sought to change the law. And when you think about the Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King Jr., he was a man of word, yes, but he was very careful on how he used his words and which words he cho chose to use. He didn't lash out in anger, but he chose to write letters and compose speeches that were so perfectly clear and so impactful that every year we still read the words to his speech or play the audio so that we can hear his words and how he chose very intentionally the words, I have a dream. When you're using too many words, the wordiness can eclipse the statement. Perhaps that's what my friend was talking about when you get into a room with my mother and my sister and I and we're all talking at the same time. Now, I can pick up what they're saying, but it was overwhelming to my friend, who was like, no wonder your dad's just sitting there. Right? It would be like trying to play double dutch, where you're like, I'm going to get in, I'm going to get in, I'm going to get in, and you never get in. And so I have learned in my time, especially my ministry, that it's precisely those people that are being quiet that you need to pay attention to. I'm in a peer group with six other clergy right now, and five of us are extroverts. God bless the one introvert. Because we'll get in a room, and it's all five of us all at one time. And we're all clergy, so we all have our own ideas. And then, miraculously, one of us will look over at the introvert and go, you've been really quiet. Do you have anything you want to say? And then we all wait with bated breath. Because what happens is, while we have been conceptualizing and making our thoughts concrete in our words and our articulation, he has been taking it all in. Listening, observing, thinking and reflecting, and probably praying, because we can do a lot of this. And then... Fortunately, God has granted him a very tall stature. He's well over six feet tall, and he has a really nice, booming, deep voice that you want to listen to. And then when he speaks, it's like, of course. Why didn't we think of that? Because he is able to see and process what we cannot, because we're too busy processing like this. And by choosing his words and the time at which he speaks so intentionally, sometimes two sentences from him are more impactful than 20 minutes of back and forth with the rest of us. And every group of people needs someone who is willing to be reserved with their words and yet talk and say the things that need to be said when the moment comes. And the silent generation has been that. They are not silent because they never speak. 
They are not silent because they have made no impact. They have chosen a different path. Now, my mother is not of this generation. She's a baby boomer. We'll talk about her next week. And in my family, we are four different generations. My father is from the silent generation. My mother is a baby boomer. I'm a Gen Xer, and my sister is a millennial. No wonder we can't agree on anything. But that's not true. What has really amazed me is that sometimes it takes multiple generations to truly make us better. Because things that are so obvious to my sister and I are just not part of the worldview of our parents. Or things that my sister can't figure out why we haven't gotten right because we've been at this for so long. Instead, she calls us back to what's really important. Your generations have made so much effort toward equalization between the genders, equalization between races. But what about people who feel that their identities are different? It's the conversation that happens amongst us all that makes us better. And that is what Jesus has been able to show us. When you are looking at the story of the birth of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, you are looking at multiple generations. Mary and Joseph were not even of the same generation. They were coming together, and older generations in Joseph's family couldn't understand why he would marry her. Why would you want to be shackled to somebody else when that child is not yours? Don't you know what people will think and feel about you and what they will gossip about you? But Joseph is actually a man of very few words in the Scriptures. Joseph is very much like that silent generation. He decides to use the system of marriage to change how the world will look at Mary's child. It is through using legal marriage and formally adopting Jesus that the prophetic lineage of the house of David is fulfilled in Jesus. He is by gene and genetic code not of the house of David. But because marriage and adoption were parts of the society, part of the structure and the system of Joseph's people, he was able to fulfill the messianic prophecy. And so a new generation would be born. And no generation since has had to dwell in darkness without the knowledge of Jesus Christ. But it took the multiple generations to manifest that truth, which is why this series has been so important to us, is that every generation is important. Every generation is known and loved by God, and it should be known and loved by us. Every one of us are part of a bigger picture. And when we have some appreciation and some gratitude about another person, it makes it a lot easier to worship and work and study and be in ministry together. Because we might not ever understand one another fully. Some things have generational differences. 
And in fact, after last week's worship, one of our greatest generation came up to me and said, you know, people thought differently when I was growing up. And that's true. We all think a little differently. And we act differently based upon how we think. But at the end of the day, as Christians, do we not believe that we all are yearning to fulfill the same heart of Jesus Christ? And that because of that desire, we can overcome our differences. We can override our disagreements. Because the silent generation has taught us it's not just what you say, it's what you do. You can't profess to love Jesus Christ and then not live that out. You have to use all that God has given you to preach that good news and to share what you have experienced using words only when necessary. And if you know someone of this generation and Ironically, most churches that I've been a part of, whether I grew up in that church or I had joined that church or served it as clergy, there are often a lot of members of the silent generation that are using words that are not their own so effectively. They are in chancel choirs. They are in handbell choirs. They are in small ensemble groups. And when they choose to speak and sing words, they are the words that magnify our faith. They are the words that impact us so profoundly because those are the words that congregations and churches have been singing for hundreds of years. And sometimes it's using your voice with someone else's words that really embodies the timeless power of God. And so we are richly blessed by this generation. And even though, over time, subsequent generations have struggled more and more with what it means to be religious, much less Christian, there are still so many in churches and in our church that are of that silent generation. And just because we don't hear them all the time doesn't mean that they aren't speaking God's truth. If you are blessed to know someone of that generation, I hope that you will tell them using words only when necessary how grateful you are that they are a part of your life in the body of Christ. And if you are a member of that silent generation, then I hope you hear our gratitude, that we are thankful for you have continued to build upon the greatness that was laid out before us through incredible suffering and perseverance. You continue to build on a legacy and allow subsequent generations to find their voice. You have empowered us to be. And so we are challenged to empower those generations that come after us. Thanks be to God for that silent generation and the way in which they are still very present and very blessed in how they serve for they are blessing us each and every day. Thanks be to God for the silent generation. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, we pray. Amen. Thank you again for joining us for this week's podcast. 
We hope you found the message meaningful, and we invite you to join us in person as we gather for worship at Crozet United Methodist Church every Sunday at 9.30 a.m. and 11 a.m. Please visit us online at www.crozetunitedmethodist.org to learn about ways you can connect with God and your neighbors through the ministries of Crozet UMC. Have a great week.